Welcome to the Sonic Truth Podcast. Podcasting in the last couple of years has seen more innovation than the entire decade that came before it. It's a fascinating time. And at the forefront of it is NPR, National Public Radio, famous for shows like Fresh Air with Terry Gross, How I Built This, and Planet Money, and my all-time favorite, All Songs Considered. My guests for this week are Brian Moffitt, its COO, and Gina Garubo. She's the CEO of NPM, which is the sponsorship side of the organization. They both joined me live from a glass booth at Advertising Week. And with a little New York City street noise mixed in, we dive right in as Gina explains NPR's legacy and what puts them in such a strong position when working with brands. You know, NPR got a really early start in the podcasting space and has been producing podcasts for 12 years. And very early on, NPR podcasts were able to build a large, loyal audience of upscale, educated, hard-to-reach audiences. And so... It was interesting. Brian reminded me this morning that uh, we did a sponsorship deal with Acura 10 years ago. Twelve. Twelve. <laughs> that was substantial. But then the majority of brands that came in were B2B, like Squarespace and Constant Contact. And they pretty much said we helped them, NPR helped them build their business by attracting the right customers to them. Well, that sort of got the attention of Fortune 500s which NPR has as sponsors already. So uh, given that NPR is a trusted quality source and the NPM sales team is so well regarded, it was um, not so hard to get best of breed clients interested in podcasting in, um, but we did do brand lift studies and um, have finer attribution tools now, which really help. But the other thing is over the years, NPM has gained expertise. We now do custom audio for brands. When we bring in sponsors to NPR, we do it in a way that shares, not sells. The audience is comfortable. 86% of NPR's podcast listeners would rather listen to sponsor messages than pay for a commercial-free app, which is good for the brands and good for NPR. Yeah. I mean, I think it is interesting because we have, I've been here for the whole time since NPR launched podcast in 2005, I think it was. Uh, and you're right, back then we had a deal with Acura that was very sizable for podcasting, for the launch of podcasting. And since then, I've seen the entire arc from the early days, which was all brand advertisers because it was the sponsors we were working with on the radio who were like, hey, this cool new thing, let's try it out. Then all the way through the direct response uh, wave that is still on us. I mean, those people are still here. They're still renewing year over year over year for you know 10 years now. So you know that it still works. And now I think the resurgence where we're seeing a lot more interest from the Fortune 100 brands who are really wanting to tap into this audience that is really hard to reach through other media. Okay, so why do you, why do you think that translates across the board? Obviously NPR, NPM are doing things that are specific. There's data involved, there's credibility there, there's some subject matter expertise in the space to begin with, and now you have this medium that's kind of bolted onto it. Now, obviously, you're a big part of this larger picture. Why do you think that the larger picture around podcasts is happening as well? What's is there something in the market? Is there something in the devices? Like, what's what's the reason outside of outside of NPR and NPM? I think it's a number of things. I think when you look at the uh, consumers turning away from commercial media, brands need to understand 
they need to go after that hard to reach audience. The other thing is the podcast space is growing thanks to folks like Spotify, who just came out and reported they are a good number two to Apple Podcasts as a platform. They've doubled their podcasting audience since earlier in the year. Pandora is investing it. They have a pod, uh, platform. Google has now said that they are going to make audio an integral part of their search. And Brian, I don't know if we're allowed to share the stats on Spotify's daily drive, but why don't you talk a little yeah, bit about Yeah, I think there's uh, two that. interesting things there. Just in general, Spotify, when you look at our podcast audience at NPR, the youngest one, the 18 to 24-year-olds, uh, Spotify is their largest platform. That is where they are coming into NPR from. It's because they're already on the platform, and now that podcasts are there, they can find something that they like and they can discover how awesome podcasts are, that there's a show for everybody, as Tom Webster of Edison Research likes to say. So I think that's part of it. Uh, but I think with the Daily Drive, what they've done is turned radio inside out. You know, that was the old way radio worked. It was a little traffic, a little news, music if you're a music format or news if you're news talk. Now they're kind of turning that back inside out, starting with music and interjecting a little bit of spoken word in. And I think it works just as good as radio did for the last four decades. Uh, we are seeing with NPR News Now, which is our five-minute uh, hourly newscast of what's happening in the world, we saw a rise of over a million people uh, through Spotify's Daily Drive uh, in just, I'd say, the last three or four months since they launched that product. The other thing I think I'll mention is that, um, you know, you have a whole new generation of uh, people who didn't grow up listening to audio the way our grandparents did. And according to Edison Research, once somebody starts listening to podcasts, it becomes their preferred way of consuming audio. That's a tremendous opportunity. You know, we've heard a few folks ask, oh, is podcasting at its peak? Far from it. Right. I mean, if you think of the number of people who listen to radio, Compared to the number of people who listen to podcasts, there is so much more headroom for people to discover the on-demand nature of being able to get exactly the content you want, when you want it, where you want it, uh, and not just be stuck to what's linearly on the dial at any given time, but to find that show. I mean, I'm, I'm a home brewer. I listen to homebrew podcasts. Good luck finding homebrew radio, right? It just doesn't <laughs> exist. But in podcast world, there's dozens of homebrew podcasts. Pick a topic, pick a genre, pick an interest. And podcast gives you a community of like-minded people and knowledge and information. And once you get that, you get that. And so if Google is able to make it easy to search, why wouldn't it be, it would just be the same as the anything. Accessibility goes up. And it's really an on-demand generation. The expectation of, obviously, older, older people like myself, you know, it's like you've got children who expect, oh, it, they don't know what it feels like, oh, this is on now. Mm -hmm. Or like, you know, I can't get up and go to the bathroom now, I'm gonna miss it. Like, you know, it's on demand and, and that there's the content being matched more easily. But there's also, the time is not a factor. Right? If, if your morning commute is two hours different than somebody else's, you can still consume morning commute content when it's right for you. Right. Why don't you talk about morning edition on demand? Yeah, I think one of the things we've done, uh, it's not technically a podcast, but it's delivered via the same infrastructure, is morning edition, which is our number one drive time morning news magazine that people have listened to on the radio. Uh, it's never existed as a podcast just because there's actually not one morning edition. There are 300 plus morning editions. It's localized in every market. It's a mix of local from the local station, national from NPR, blended together just right for that market. And so 300 podcasts of it never really made sense. 
But what we've done is we've now given people the ability on Alexa to do a replay of it. So if between 7 a.m. and 3 p.m. you say, Alexa, play Morning Edition, you can time shift the program and hear the most recent hour of the radio version. Uh, and it's a great on-demand audio product. And I think even beyond things like Spotify and Pandora and what they're doing in the market to bring it to people, I think smart speakers and that ability to just say the words and have it happen are going to have a really profound impact on the audio space once people realize they can just get that thing they like by saying the words into either their voice assistant on their phone or their smart speaker in their house or their thermostat. Right, right. Now the barriers are definitely diminishing by the second. I think AirPods, smart speakers, all those things, it's just it's a lot easier. Uh, it gets easier every day. Mm -hmm. um, so the, I guess the, the question you have to ask, right, is now this is so much excitement. I think we were talking before, you know, just about like, podcast movement and, and the things that we've observed in, in just the space this year, all the excitement, the enthusiasm, you know, what are, what are the hiccups you see? This thing just goes up and to the right with, with no, um, nothing getting in the way of it. You know, somebody has to ask the question, you know, as my job, unfortunately, where do you see this going in, in the near term and over the long haul? Assuming it's going up, what are some of the roadblocks? I, I think it's going to continue to go up and to the right for quite some time because there are so many people that still have yet to discover on-demand audio or podcasting. So new people are coming in and I think thing, uh, events like Spotify getting into it, networks like Wondery coming that have a whole different take on content and are bringing a new type of content out there that's gonna to appeal to more people. It's only, the tent is only gonna get bigger. I think the problems that I see out there are, number one, there's so much good stuff. So I've been listening to podcasts for a decade and I think the biggest challenge anybody who's really into podcasts has is keeping up with so much good stuff. So as a publisher, that's a benefit and a negative, a benefit in that our audience is larger than it's ever been in the podcast space, but a negative in the sense that launching new shows and getting people's attention is becoming increasingly hard. And I think everybody I've talked to in this space is having that same challenge. So, you know, it's I don't want to sound elitist or you know egotistical, but it used to be the case at NPR we'd make a show, we'd roll it out, and a million people would be there you know in a month, and that's getting harder and harder to do. So uh, I think that's the biggest challenge people are finding is how do you get mind share from the people who are uh, listening? Because while the pie of audio listeners is growing, the amount of content is probably growing at three or four times that. I think one of the things NPR is doing a lot of thinking about these days, and the uh, programming force can go into much better detail about this is creating a daily habit with listeners and we've got a lot of long-form shows like planet money and fresh air that have been staples in the industry they kind of come out once or twice a week and they're a wonderful treat when they come but what propelled radio for so long is the fact that it was your daily habit you turned on your clock radio at 7 a.m and you turned on the station you love you got in your car and you turned on npr and i think with content like up first the planet money indicator uh, we just launched a new show called Shortwave that's coming out in a few weeks. It's a short-form daily science show. These are short, and they can fit into your audio diet more easily than something that's an hour long. And hopefully, people can build a habit around it. If you really love science, that's a great seven minutes to start your day. And you can do that while you're brushing your teeth. So we're trying to create a wide range of content from the daily habit short-form stuff that's going to be a kind of an anchor in people's audio life. And then also the long form news journalism storytelling that we've been known for that is kind of the meat and potatoes as well. And also uh, life advice via life kits. Right. So, and that's a very different style of editorial. Uh, the idea there is to have audio as a way to answer people's questions. So, at some point in your life, you got to figure out how to do a mortgage. 
and you got to learn a lot of things really fast. And so you can either go to the blogs and try to filter through a lot of different blogs, or you can go to YouTube and watch a bunch of informational videos from sources you don't know who to trust, or you can listen to three 20-minute episodes from NPR's Life Kit on How to Buy a House that break the problem down for you into you know a couple of discrete steps to let you know where to start. So you can do that with how to get better sleep, how to you know choose the right diet, how to talk to your kids about death, and those are all topics we've covered, NPR's covered with life. And it's all digitized and meta-tagged, like mm-hmm. all of NPR's content for the last 50 years, which actually put NPR at a distinct advantage when it came to smart speakers, as you can understand. Yeah, NPR and NPM are such a data-driven organization. Can you just give our listeners a little insight into some of the things that you're doing on that front that are, that are interesting and, and worth noting? Yeah, and I think, you know, we've been a great partner with Veritonic for several years now, but in podcasting generally, I would say in the past two years, there's been more innovation than I've seen in the past decade. It's just incredible what's happening in, in the space right now. And it's all against the backdrop of protecting user privacy. I think podcasting was in a very different place when it emerged than the general web. So it's, it's generally a more consumer privacy oriented space. So all the tools still respect that. And yet we're bringing tools to the marketers that can really help them make sure they're doing the right thing with their money. So uh, we like to think of it across the life cycle of a campaign. So you're gonna make a purchase with NPR. We can give you all kinds of information about where the audience you're looking to reach is. We can talk to you about the right way to reach them, the right messaging styles that we know work. But then with a tool like Veritonic, we can actually prove it. So we can take copy A and copy B and we can put it in front of a likely panel of the demo you're trying to reach and we can measure the effectiveness against whatever it is you're trying to do. Do you want to be perceived as more trustworthy? Do you want to be perceived as innovative? Are you trying to make people understand that now as a car company, you're all about eco-consciousness and trying to revamp your line? We can measure those things and we can show really meaningful differences in just the turns of phrase that you use or the pacing or whether you have music behind the message. And I think, you know, on the radio side, programmers have known this for a very long time, but for some reason, it's taken until recently to bring this into the marketing world and the podcast space. But it's here now, and it's very, very powerful. I mean, just a couple of stats that we've learned uh, as we've been testing these things. You know, if you feature a personal story in your sponsorship message on NPR, you have a 50% better measure on sincerity, if that's what you're trying to get across. So things like that are they were guesses before, and now they're not guesses. And so then you can also take which personal story, personal story A or personal story B. So you can test this until you get to, you're, you're very confident that what you're trying to do is what you are going to do with the message. And then on the other side of the equation, there's attribution services now where you can look at all the people who've been exposed to the message in a podcast and then measure how many of them actually made their way back to a website to go learn more. And we're seeing very, very good conversion rates that are way higher than traditional banner campaigns, like on the order of several percent of the exposed group are making it to the sponsor's website to go learn more or start their way through the funnel. So it's just, it's it's more exciting than I think it's ever been in the sense that it's no longer just a, we think the audience is there, let's try a message and see what happens. Right, right. No, and I think NPR, you know, is such a credibility factor. I just, I'm, I've been listening to all songs considered I think since the inception. So if Bob Boylan talks about blue microphones or whatever now, and you know, I hear that, he's coming from somebody that I've listened to. I've listened to him so long, I feel like he's a good friend. And whenever I bumped, I bumped into him, went to South by Southwest, and, you know, actually twice, and he probably thought I was some crazy person both times. So I'm talking to him as if I've known him for years, he'd never met me. And like, but I think like you see that, I think, in NPR is such a relationship factor there. 
Um, is there a way that you leverage that? Do you use data to look at things like that? Like just your own kind of personalities and shows that would differentiate you from every other platform out there? We do, we do quarterly um, audience studies around podcasting to make sure how we are allowing uh, the sponsors to message is appropriate. But more so, it, our audience, 77% say they appreciate the brands that support NPR. I've worked at a lot of other media companies and the love just isn't there. And it's it's up to us to sort of guard um, a, a too commercial attitude that many brands come and expect us to just say, oh, that's fine, just say whatever you want. We're like, no, it's not cool here. This audience you know, wants you to behave as if you're in their living room. Don't try to sell them something. Just Tell them what you have. I think what's so great about the data that we get, the data completely proves that. I think for a long time we would say these things, and anecdotally we knew, we had some feedback from sponsors, this worked, this didn't, but it was always a challenge for us to go to a marketer and say, kind of forget everything you thought you knew about high pressure marketing, because that's exactly the opposite of what you want to do. And now we can show them the data and show that, no, a personal sincere story is what you need to do, not to say your you know, website three times in a row real fast. But right. that is in, that's in NPR land. So right. there are other destinations, maybe Ron Burgundy or Barstool Sports, where just screaming and selling might be fun, actually. <laughs> right, right. Now, and then context is huge, right? Every marketer knows that, like, you know, the right ad in the right place at the right time is what people try to go for and that sort of stuff. But I do think when you look at audio as a medium, one of the things we see, it's such a powerful medium, it's such a rich medium, and authenticity can come through in, in a way that, that it's, it's difficult to achieve that visually. Um, the trust in a voice and, and the trust in a person is, is very much, it's much more intimate. Like my relationship with Bob and Robin on All Songs Considered, they've been, they've been whispering in my ear for 15 years or whatever. It's, it's a much closer than you know, even a TV show or things that I watched. Um, and as, as I think you start to look at that on a, on a benchmark level, you know, I think NPR has got a, a way to differentiate there. I'm sure you, you know better than I do. Um, do you see, as you kind of put new content out there um, and you look at ways that are NPR appropriate for advertising, is that a challenge? Because like, you know, obviously we talked about this thing going up and to the right, which means either more ads or more expensive ads um, and sponsorships, as you would call them, right? Like, how do you keep those two interests you know, that are likely in conflict with one, with one another together? Well, last year we um, hired NeuroInsights to do a neuroscience study, and they actually proved that when sponsors on NPR used fat-based sponsor messaging in our environment, it was 23% more memorable than commercial radio ads. So we use that data to go in, and then Brian leads a production unit at National Public Media called NPM Creatives, and we create short-form audio vignettes that tell stories, and we push them out across all the NPR digital platforms, which have significant reach. Remember back in the day when everybody created microsites? Well, now you have a lot of brands creating podcasts, and they come to us and they say, yikes, Nobody's listening to our podcast. And we say, okay, well, here's a sponsorship schedule across our platform and you'll fish where the fish are because they're all listening to podcasts. But also, why don't you consider doing a series of short form vignettes that will tell the story for you as well? And maybe you talk about yeah, that, yeah, audio that, yeah, that, yeah, So you're actually creating content to help 
advertisers. Can you tell us more about that? Yes. I mean, we looked at the space for quite a while, and branded podcast didn't seem like a good fit for you know, us or NPR. Uh, and I thought well, what we thought was compelling in the market was we know the NPR audience loves storytelling. They love high quality storytelling. They like to be informed, but it doesn't need to be 20 minutes long. It kind of goes back to the daily habit strategy I was talking about is particularly if you're a brand, you know, just getting a minute and a half of someone's attention is incredibly valuable. And we knew we could do that. So we hired a team of producers uh, and we come up with a product that had a maximum length of about three minutes. And we tell people aim for about a minute and a half to three minutes. We'll have our team work with the sponsor or the sponsor's creative agency to figure out what stories they wanna tell. And then we'll fly our production team out. And if it's a customer, we'll spend the day with them to capture all the tape. And you're in the audio business, you know you gotta spend a lot of tape <laughs> to get the tape you want. But we'll, we'll do it in an authentic way so that we can get that story out. And it's their story, so it's not something co-branded. We're, we're basically working like an agency to help them tell an audio story in a compelling way because we have good expertise there. And then as Gina mentioned, you know they can keep that, and we've had our sponsors use it on social media with animation to drive uh, engagement on their website. People will put them on their own websites. I've seen them take uh, sponsors take cuts of them and use them in their uh, ad campaign elsewhere in the podcast world, which is great. But we'll take the excerpts of those and put them into the mid-rolls in our podcast as click-to-listen on our website and in the NPR mobile apps. And when you can get people to say, I want to hear more from this sponsor in their own voice, and then they listen to that message for a minute and a half seconds, we see 10 plus percent engagement rates of people then clicking to go onto the sponsor's website and learn even more. So it's kind of a funnel down to the right you know, 10,000 people, and we found that audio is a really effective way to do that. And we've been lucky because the brands we work with, for example, Lagunitas, the founder of Lagunitas was a musician before he was a brewer. And our audience loved his story yeah. about that. And then we're surprised sometimes when some of our financial clients talk about the dark web and what you need to know about cybersecurity, also very popular. And we were like, the subject is interesting, but kind of dry. We never would have guessed that would have been popular with our audience, but it was. And do people raise their hands and say, I'd like you to create this content for me. Is it something that you identify as a gap? How do those relationships, like Lagunitas, was that more organic? Obviously they sponsored the Tiny Desk uh, concert series as well. I, I'm a, if it's not all songs considered, I've heard it, obviously. But I mean, are, are you out there kind of proactively looking, saying, hey, come to us, we've got this capability. Does it happen for your existing clients or I both? think the brands we work with are constantly asking us, because now we have events, now we have the How I Built This Summit. They're always saying, how do we further engage the NPR listener in a smart way? And this was the newest way. And um, the production team is iterating on spotlight sponsor messages, which are even shorter form, right? Well, there's a little easier to do because we won't actually have to fly out. We can do it uh, via remote high quality connection and do a slightly shorter version of those soundscapes we talked about. But I think in general, what we do is we have a lot of people who come to us and they think they want to make a podcast or they think they want to do something in audio. And usually it's kind of heading down the road of we feel like we have to make a podcast. And when we explain to them, the soundscape product and how it's a fraction of the cost of creating a podcast and then the audience is built into the media plan so that you don't have to go out and spend another you know hundred thousand dollars marketing your quarter million dollar podcast that you paid to make 
it just makes sense. Mm. So we've had a lot of sponsors who had, I, I can think of a handful of sponsors who have done branded podcasts and now they're doing soundscapes and renewing and just trying to tell different facets of their story through soundscapes. Um, or we've had uh, people who are doing branded podcasts and as Gina mentioned, they can't get audience to them. So they're running soundscapes about their podcast to promote them in our podcast to get audience. All right. All right, so one last question for you. And the question of do people have an audio strategy? Right now, obviously, everything you just talked about, if I had an audio strategy already, I'd be, I'd be like coming to the restaurant where you're making the food that I want to have. How much of this do you see where somebody even has an audio strategy or are they just dabbling? Um, and when do you think that becomes something that if you don't have an audio strategy, you're not doing your job? Because that, I feel like the internet got there on this, right? If you didn't have an optimization and a testing, you weren't doing your job. But in 2001, 2002, that was certainly not the case. Where are we on the audio strategy trajectory? I would say we've seen twice the number of brands come to us and want to include us in part of an ongoing sonic strategy, which is not just the chime of a logo. Mm. Right, and I think that's what often I get frustrated is, I feel like it sometimes get re gets reduced to that. What is your Intel bong, right? And it's not just that, that's a piece of it, but it's more about how does your brand communicate to a consumer in this intimate environment of podcasting and on-demand audio where they expect you to fit in and they expect you to not shout and be overly marketing, but they expect you to be informing and authentic. So that is, I think we're getting more and more brands asking us for help there. Uh, and I'm just thinking of a client we were with, big business-to-business um, -business tech provider, and we were meeting with some very senior people and they were talking about a strategy they had with their customers where they were featuring their customers and how they were trying to help the world. They had the video component checked off. They were doing great little video documentaries on these. They had the white papers and case studies. And as we were talking about soundscapes and audio, you know, the very senior person in charge says, we have not thought about how to do this in audio. And so I think it's becoming more and more common, uh, but that's exactly what marketers need to think about. You're doing all those things. You're telling your stories in very engaging ways. Audio can be a part of that, and often audio can be a very efficient part of that. Right. Now, it's becoming more of a secular thing where you've got smart speakers in your house. You've got AirPods on your kids and, mm -hmm. and yourself, and these things, people are talking about it. So I think when, when the CMO goes home, they're seeing the audio space and the opportunity firsthand in their day-to-day -day lives. Mm -hmm. That definitely helps. Um, but I do think you know, hopefully more people will have an audio strategy or at least be more proactive on that front tomorrow than they are today. And, and, and frankly, you know, appreciate both of you coming and saying and having this conversation because I think this opens up that black box of how the largest podcast platforms out there, the largest po podcast uh, content producers out there um, are, are looking at this um, and the value behind it. So thank you again uh, today. And that'll be it. All right. Thanks. Thank you. Thanks for having us. This podcast was recorded live in a glass wall truck provided by BulldogBillboards.com. I met the team at Advertising Week New York, and what was fascinating to me is that despite conversations throughout the week about the incredibly complex and very digital means of reaching consumers, that sometimes if you want immediate impact, that a billboard truck can be the way to go. Bulldog billboards have trucks in multiple sizes, and there's quite literally no project too big or too small. So whether it's a glass wall truck that you want or an LED screen on the side of a truck that you're interested in, they can do it for you. So for more information, visit bulldogbillboards.com. And of course, thank you very much for listening.
You've been listening to a podcast production of AW360, the year-round content destination from Advertising Week. Visit AW360 at 360.advertisingweek.com and be sure to check out the other AW360 podcasts now available on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and Stitcher. Producers on this podcast are Jack Hirschman and Richard Larson with music provided by Audio Network. For more information on Advertising Week, the world's largest gathering of advertising, marketing, and technology leaders now in six markets across the globe, visit www.advertisingweek.com. Advertising Week.